You are listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast with Anthony Fasano, session number 19. Most engineers only use the left half of their brain. In this session, engineer and author Stu Wallish will give us tips for how to activate the right or creative side of the brain so that we become full-brained engineers. Let's do it! Welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, where it's all about helping real engineers to overcome real challenges and get real results. And now for your host, who is on a mission to inspire as many engineers as possible, professional engineer and certified career coach, Anthony Fasano. Hello, everyone. This is Anthony Fasano, your engineering career coach, and I welcome you to the Tech Podcast session number 19. Have an awesome show for you today on a very interesting topic of innovation, creativity, using your right brain as an engineer, which I think, unfortunately, a lot of engineers don't do because we weren't ever really taught how to do it. So we're going to jump into that in a minute. I have one announcement to make very briefly. Many of you know that I run a community for engineers called the Institute for Engineering Career Development, known as the IECD. And we put on a meetup, which is kind of a mini conference a few weeks ago down in Austin, Texas. We had about 50 younger engineers from around the country come together. The speakers consisted of engineering leaders. And let me just tell you, these leaders just laid everything on the line. They gave us so much information. We took tours of the city. We had tons of fun. It was just a great weekend overall. And it was so much fun that we're going to do another one and we're now going to do two a year. So first thing I want to tell you is if you didn't come, but you want to read about it, read about some of the information that was given out, some of the quotes by the engineering leaders and the keynote speaker, you can check out my website at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash Austin. And that's that's kind of a recap of the event. And those of you out there that might be interested in coming to the next one, it will be in September the 25th, 26th, 27th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday will be a special mastermind session and the opening party. And then you'll have the Friday and Saturday sessions and tours and fun parties. Just wanted to to kind of give you a heads up to save the date. The last event sold out and the mastermind session sold out pretty quickly. So if you're an engineer in Southern California and you're interested or just IECDers out there that want to come, get this on the calendar or you can send me an email with any questions afasano at powerfulpurpose.com. We already have the event website live, which is iecdfallmeetup.com. All right, so enough of that. Let's get into the show. I'm going to introduce our guest for today, who is Stu Wallace. And the reason that I contacted Stu initially was because I heard about a new book that he's working on, which sounds extremely interesting to me. It's titled Introduction to Creativity and Innovation for Engineers. So when I saw that, I immediately thought, have to have Stu on the podcast. And we cover a lot of different topics, but one thing to really listen for in this interview is when he talks about mind maps. He gives an example of how a mind map was used on a project. And ever since I interviewed Stu, I've been using mind maps and it's been phenomenal for me in my business and personal endeavors. It's been awesome. So a big thanks to Stu for that. So with that, let me give Stu a formal introduction and we'll jump right into the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Stu Wallish, PhD, PE, is an independent consultant providing management, engineering, education, training, and marketing services. Prior to beginning his consultancy, he worked in the public, private, and academic sectors, serving as a project engineer and manager, department head, discipline manager, marketer, legal expert, professor, and dean of an engineering college. 
Walsh's technical specialty is water resources engineering. He's authored or co-authored six books and many engineering and education publications and presentations. His most recent book is Engineering Your Future, The Professional Practice of Engineering, and he is working on Introduction to Creativity and Innovation for Engineers. So obviously an accomplished guest we have here today, but most importantly is the topic that he's going to discuss. So let's get right into it. It's goat time. All right, now it's time for our coaching segment. And as you just heard me introduce, I have a guest with me today, Stu Wallace from HelpingYouEngineerYourFuture.com. And I'm excited to have Stu on the show here. And we're going to talk a little bit about brain power today and working smarter. So welcome aboard, Stu. And before we get into the whole topic of working smarter, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about your background and, and kind of you know what made you decide to start doing training and speaking for engineers on some of these interesting topics that you focus on? Uh, well, first of all, Anthony, thank you for the opportunity to participate. I appreciate uh, this chance to share some ideas with you. Your question has sort of two parts to it. One is, um, how did I get into education and training? And then second, you made some reference to my interest in, uh, in brain science and uh, neuroscience and it relates to engineers. Uh, I need to go back to my uh, childhood. Uh, I had a family home uh, across the highway from uh, Lake Michigan up in northern Wisconsin. And I vividly remember my uh, mother taking me across the highway and I'd go down by the beach and there was a creek there that flowed into the lake. And I loved the water and I built uh, levees and dams and reservoirs and so on. And when I got to college, I found out that if I could study civil engineering, I could get paid for continuing to play with water, which is uh, <laughs> is what I did. Uh, I spent about the first 20 years of my career uh, in what I think was some pretty sophisticated water resource engineering work. And then I sort of tired of that, and I thought, what would I like to do next? And I started to drift into the professional practice aspects of engineering, the non-technical or sometimes called the soft side aspects, things like project management and communication and marketing and ethics and so on. And that led me then to start doing some part-time education and training via uh, face-to-face uh, classes with the American Society of Civil Engineers. And then in the year 2000, ASCE and I experimented with the first ASCE webinar, and that got me into the webinar uh, uh, business. So that sort of answers the, the first part of your question, how to get into education and training. But let's turn then to the, uh, the second part. Uh, how can we make better use of our brains? Uh, about five years ago, I wandered into a art center in my community and on a whim, I took a one session of, uh, graphite drawing, pencil drawing. And that's the first art class I had had since perhaps the third grade. And I just enjoyed it. And then I um, moved into colored pencil drawing. But in the process, I came across a very interesting book by Betty Edwards titled uh, uh, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. It's a two-purpose book. One purpose is to teach us the fundamentals of drawing. But the second purpose is to let us understand the power on the right side of our brain. And so that motivated me to study what we've been learning about our brain in the last couple of decades, 
then I did some writing and speaking about that. And my hope, my focus came to how can we use neuroscience discoveries to help engineers be more creative and innovative. And uh, I really have enjoyed this uh, this subject. But that kind of that I hope that answers your question, Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's very, very interesting to me. Um, someone who does, you know, similar things as you, helping engineers with their non-technical skills, so to speak. I think doing that requires, and we're going to get into this a little bit, you know, requires new habits, requires new ways of thinking, re- requires you to draw from the, the non-analytical side of your brain, um, which is why I think this is so interesting. And the reason that I asked you to come on, Stu, because I think if, if engineers want to be well-rounded, um, they need to obviously utilize both sides of their brain. So, so we're going to get into this a little bit more now, but tell me, tell me about when you say working smarter, the title of Stu has a, a webinar or seminar that he does. And that's the reason I contacted him was because I saw the title in the description, which is called working smarter using brain basics to enhance individual and organizational performance. And what I, what I'm interested in the whole idea of working smarter, Stu, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. I'm thinking of three things when I consider how engineers can work even smarter than they already do. One is uh, to be more effective. The second is to be more efficient. And the third is to be more uh, innovative. And if I could, let me elaborate at least on the, on the first two, the effective versus efficient. And the best way to for me to distinguish between the two is the shared experience I had when I was um, an employee of an engineering firm. I was a department head, and every Friday afternoon, the assistant office manager and I would get together and we'd quickly prepare a report on the status of the wastewater projects in our office, and then we would send that report to another office. And we were... uh, we were very efficient. Uh, John and I carried out that task in maybe uh, 15 minutes. One Friday, I asked John, I said, why are we doing this? And uh, I thought he knew, but he didn't know, and I certainly didn't know why we were doing it. So I said, John, let's not send the report this week and see if anybody notices. He reluctantly went along with me. We didn't send it. Nobody noticed, and we stopped doing it. The point of my story is we were very efficient in putting together the report, but it was totally ineffective. We were, we were efficiently doing something that didn't need doing. Hmm. And I think many of us engineers are, are under so much pressure and operating so much on automatic pilot that we stop to, we don't stop to think about how effective we are. We focus on being more and more efficient. So, so one of my hopes in this workshop is to uh, give people a chance to think about uh, their effectiveness. That's very interesting, Stu, and I, I agree with you 100%. I see a lot of engineers these days very stressed out, you know, a lot of project deadlines and a lot of work, and I think sometimes what I try to ask them to do is stop and take a look at everything you're working on and think about that effectiveness, you know, apply the 80-20 rule, you know, see 
you know, if the stuff that you're working on is what's most important, and I guess as you explained, is it is it effective regardless of how efficient you're doing it? And I think that's a challenge with engineers because we try to do everything as efficiently as possible, uh, but we also try to do everything. So uh, we may be doing everything efficiently, but, you know, 20% of those tasks may not need be done. And I think you, you gave a good example um, of that and exactly what you just said. Now, Stu, you mentioned being effective and efficient, and you also mentioned innovation. Talk to our listeners a little bit more about innovation, because I think that that's so important if you want to be that well-rounded engineer who can really achieve your goals. Yes, Anthony. I was thinking if we had this interview, if you were asking me questions 10 years ago, I doubt that I would have mentioned innovation. Um, I might have thought about it, but said, well, engineers are sort of naturally innovative. It doesn't need special attention. However, I don't feel that way anymore for a variety of reasons. Uh, some of your uh, listeners may have read one or more of Daniel Pink's books. He's one of these futurists out there who do some speaking and writing. And one of the things he said is, you know, uh, society has gone through uh, the agricultural age, the industrial age, and now... We think we're in the knowledge age. And then he takes issue with that. He said, we may be in the knowledge age, but we're moving into what he calls the conceptual age. And, of course, the root word of conceptual is conceive, to uh, to be involved in the creation of something completely new. And what he's saying is the knowledge age is great. However... The knowledge age is based primarily on learning how to do some admittedly very sophisticated processes, but nevertheless, bright, well-educated people around the globe can do those things. He calls them algorithmic uh, tasks. And what, he, well, what I'm thinking of it in engineering is we have every year a huge number of young people graduating from engineering and engineering type courses and programs around the globe, especially in uh, India and, and uh, China. And those young people are going to be increasingly capable of doing the kind of sophisticated work we engineers in the U.S. have been doing. And they're going to be able to do it at much less cost. And therefore, the challenge to us is to do higher value work. And that's what I think uh, of when I... When I when I consider Pink's idea about going into the conceptual age. That is, if we Americans and other individuals, professionals in uh, uh, well-developed countries are going to continue to be successful, we're going to be able, we're going to have to be able to be much more creative and innovative than we are right now. That's why I'm, I'm focusing more and more on this, uh, helping engineers be more innovative. That's great. Stu, I agree with you there as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. I read his blog a lot. and He talks a lot about the idea of innovation and the fact that um, we have to be innovative to be different today. You have to bring provide value because there, there's always going to be someone out there that can do the job cheaper in the engineering world. However, if you want to be relevant and you want to be a go-to engineer, you need to be someone who delivers value in a way that's innovative. And I think one of the biggest challenges 
that we have to focus on as engineers moving forward is to try to combine these things you talked about and be effective, be efficient, and be innovative. And I know sometimes people think that when you become very efficient or when you do things and follow processes, it's hard to be innovative, but I think that there's ways of doing both. You have to just work hard to try to combine them so that you can maintain quality and be innovative. Do you agree? Absolutely. Um, We can be effective, and and in those things uh, where we are effective, obviously we want to be efficient. But at the same time, we need to be open to completely new ways of doing what we're doing. That's a challenge. But you know, we got the brightest people in engineering. I used to work uh, at the university, and I would see the profiles of the incoming students summarized by college. I would see the profiles of our engineering students. I'd see the profiles of the business students, the arts and science students, the nursing students, and so on. And the, uh, the most promising group was always the engineering students. Uh, to me, helping engineers be even more creative and innovative is a matter of practicing good stewardship with the kind of talented uh, individuals that enter our field in the first place. Hmm. Hmm, That's interesting. So, Stu, would you say that this class that you took on drawing, I guess it had a big effect on you, I would say? Yes. Um, And as as with many things that happen in life, Anthony, when I took that first class, in my mind, it had absolutely nothing to do with my professional work. It was simply a whim, a diversion. But when I picked up Betty Edwards' book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, as a result of taking by then uh, many classes, I started to see the connection between what she was talking about, the whole brain approach, and how we could be even more effective in uh, our professional practice. So I, 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 you know, you find as you go through life, you think you, 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 you're, it's largely a planned endeavor, but more often than not, it's uh, serendipity. Okay, great. I just want everyone to know that it, Stu has mentioned a bunch of different resources. You can access all of those resources in our show notes. We're going to have links in the show notes and to access the show notes for this show, you can visit engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash brain and it will take you to the show notes and there'll be links to the books that Stu has described and also anything else that we discussed today in the form of websites or references. All right, Stu, in the, in the description for your seminar on working smarter, you talk about eight tools uh, known as working smarter tools. Can you pick a few of them and, and, and share them with our listeners here? Yes. Um, let me start with uh, a tool that's um, called borrowing brilliance. Borrowing brilliance. And this would be an example, incidentally, of trying to think broadly, more broadly, when faced with something that um, appears to be a routine. Um, A good example of borrowing brilliance would be the automobile assembly line. You know, I I did some research. How did Henry Ford come up with the idea of the automobile assembly line? 
About a hundred years ago, some of the Ford personnel uh, visited the uh, stockyards in Chicago, and they noticed uh, how the um, how the, the the carcasses were processed, and what they saw is the uh, beef or pork or uh, hog carcasses were hung on a, on hooks. And the hooks were on a conveyor belt, and the conveyor belt carried these carcasses past workers at individual stations. And at each station, a worker was responsible for disassembling part of the carcass. And uh, they said, you know, what if we reverse that? What if we had an evolving automobile on a moving assembly line? along which we had workers at fixed stations and each worker or set of workers was responsible for assembling an evolving automobile and that's what they did T to me that's a perfect example of looking at a situation trying to take a very broad fresh perspective and coming up with some uh, brilliant ideas and that's why that's called borrowing brilliance. And incidentally, that expression, borrowing brilliance, is not original with me. In fact, it's the name of a, of a book that describes that whole, whole tool. There's another example of that, incidentally, that I think many of us are probably aware of, and that's uh, Gutenberg's invention of the printing press. We like to say he invented the printing press. Well, not exactly. What he invented was the reusable type printing press. And what he did is he borrowed from others. He borrowed uh, forging, metal forging from the Romans. He borrowed uh, from the Chinese woodblock printing, which had been around for centuries by then. And he borrowed the press, the press mechanism, from the wine industry. So one of the tools that's available to us, if we can get outside of our silos, is to try to look very broad whenever faced with a problem. Um, if, if, for example, we're a bridge designer and we look at the requirements for a particular bridge site, clearly we would stop to think about previous projects we did in similar situations. Nothing wrong with that. But it would be wonderful if we could also look broadly at other possibilities and that would be that that would be acting in the spirit of this borrowing brilliance tool so that's one example I have to maybe you have some questions or comments about that that tool yeah no I think that that's great I mean I think that that idea kind of pushes us towards evaluating what we're doing and improving it and I think that that's one of the things that we, everyone doesn't do enough, including engineers. I think that we get wrapped up in moving as fast as we can. And if we took a couple hours one day to stop and evaluate some of our processes, we can make them better and save us a lot of time in the long run. The problem is most people, you know, don't see the value in that. They don't want to lose the hours. That's right. We don't want to take the time to think, which sounds foolish, but we do it all the time. Right. Yeah, I know. I do it myself. I mean, there's times when I'm doing a task and I realize that if I were able to just capture what I was doing 
and give it to my assistant, I wouldn't have to do it every week, but instead I continue to do it. So I think we all need to think about that. Uh, how about another tool, Stu? Another tool that I use often is called uh, mind mapping, mind mapping. And I use this tool because my experience and my reading and research suggest that it's a great way to engage both hemispheres of the brain, to engage that left hemisphere with its uh, very logical orientation and that right hemisphere with its um, very uh, sort of intuitive, uh, holistic, uh, uh, creative uh, characteristics. And it's a very simple process. I, I've done it individually, and I've done it with groups. And what, what we do is we take out a, take out a piece of paper. If, let's say it's a group. We take out maybe a couple uh, uh, sheets of newsprint. We put it on the wall. And somewhere in the center, we draw an oval, and uh, we write in there whatever issue, problem, opportunity, uh, challenge uh, we're thinking about. And I recall doing this once with a group, and what we wrote in the center was a pond problem. This was a group of four people got together to talk about a problem with a pond in a residential area. And then we sort of go into brainstorming mode. And whatever anybody thinks, uh, they mention it. So somebody might say uh, water quality. And so we would write uh, water quality on, a, on another oval, and we draw an arrow to water quality from the first uh, item. I recall that particular instant, instance with the pond problem. Within 25 minutes, we filled up, in that case, an entire whiteboard. And at the end of that 25-minute process, what we found out is we didn't have a pond problem. We had five pond problems, and each of them was fairly well-defined. And from then on, the group could focus on solutions to what now were the pond problems. The idea of doing this in a brainstorming mode, but a nonlinear mode, makes it a very powerful tool. As I mentioned, I use it often. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think mind mapping is great. I use it a lot myself. In fact, we just reconfigured the engineeringcareercoach.com website, and I did a whole mind map to try to figure out how it would be easier to put the resources in easier locations for the engineers and our listeners to get them. And there are some, I don't have them on me right now, but there are some free websites where you can actually create a mind map, and I'll put those websites into the show notes which which maybe I'll put a photo up of a mind map as well, and you'll be able to access those show notes again at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash brain. All right, Stu. So one other point I want to ask you about, and then we'll keep Stu with us and we'll get into our career changing tip. You talk about replacing bad habits with good ones in your seminar description, and I saw that throughout your site in some spots. And this is a big thing for me that I try to focus on a lot, improving myself by putting new habits into place. And I also try to help, you know, listeners and, and engineers that I work with. And I know how important it is to try to replace a bad habit with a good one. But I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and maybe some, some strategies for doing that. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, in my opinion, if you're going to improve yourself, better yourself, you're going to need to replace habits. Absolutely. 
one of the things that I learned recently is how much we are dominated, how much our our actions and our words are dominated by habits. Uh, I have found estimates in the literature that say uh, 50% and or more of what we say and do is habitual. So we need to recognize that habits are in control. We also need to recognize that habits are driven by our subconscious mind, and therefore uh, we don't recognize what's happening. Uh, our conscious mind, we think, is in control of everything, but it's not. And in fact, it could be that our subconscious mind is controlling much more than our conscious mind. You know, we, we like to think we're in charge, and, and uh, we say, you know, I can do uh, uh, I can do two things at once. I can chew gum and I can compose an email at the same time. The fact of the matter is, the chewing gum is uh, the subconscious mind, and we don't have to think about it. It takes care of that complicated process of chewing gum, while our conscious mind is focusing on uh, on writing that email. If, if we, if we have a habit that we recognize, uh, but we don't like, it's possible to change it. It's not easy, but it's possible to change it. What we need to, we need to understand that a habit will manifest itself in response to a cue. So for example, if I feel thirsty, that's the cue. My routine, my usual habitual routine, might be to reach for a soft drink. And when I do that, my reward is it tastes good. I feel good. However, if I think about it, I might conclude that's a bad habit because I really don't need all that sugar. The way to change that is to be aware the next time that cue comes about, but have a different response. So the next time I feel thirsty, uh, my response is going to be to reach for a, a, a glass of ice water. And my reward is, hey, the water tastes pretty good, and this is better for me. If I consistently do that, say for a month, it's highly likely that that habit that I originally considered bad, drinking the soft drink, will now be replaced by a habit I consider good, uh, drinking water. Let's take a let's take a professional example. Many of us get in situations where we have an opportunity to possibly connect with a new client. So the cue is coming face to face with a potential client. However, our response to that, our habitual response to that is to start talking about us and our organization. The result of that we don't seem to be making very productive contacts. So we say, I'm going to change that habit. When next time I experience that cue of being face-to-face with a potential client, I'm going to instead go into an empathetic question-asking asking mode. I'm going to ask them about them, and I'm going to see if I get a reward for that. 
if I have a better understanding of them, if we connect. And if I find that the first time I try that it works fairly good, I'm going to consistently do that for, say, a month. And I can assure you that if you do that consistently for a month, you will be able to replace what you considered a bad habit with a good habit. The whole the whole key there, Anthony, is to recognize that habits are controlled by the subconscious mind and look for that cue, change the routine, and see if you experience the reward. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and, and uh, it totally makes sense to me. And I think one of the biggest challenges for people um, trying to implement new habits is exactly do, not doing what you said in doing it for a month. I think the critical aspect of creating a new habit is you have to do it routinely for a certain period of time to create that new habitual action. And, you know, for those of you out there that want to improve anything in your career or your life, like Stu said, it's important that you understand what habit you want to replace it with, what action you want to replace it with, but it's also important that you do it for a long period of time. Because if you do it for a couple of days and you said, oh, I'm doing good, and then you skip it for a day or two, you're going to completely lose it. And that's why people that say, oh, I'm going to start going to the gym and working out, they go for a week and it's great. And then they don't go for one week for whatever reason it might be, and they lose it. Yes. The neuroscientists tell us that what we're doing in replacing a bad habit with a good habit is we're reconnecting many uh, neurons within our brains. And the fact of the matter is that takes a while. But once the new connections are there, they're there. They're for real. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Thanks for that, Stu. And what we're going to do now is I will list all of the items that have referenced that we mentioned in those show notes. You'll be able to get them. What I'm going to do now is we're going to jump into our career changing tip and I'm going to have Stu stay with us. And he's actually going to give us our tip for today. Career changing tip. All right, now it's time for our career changing tip. And the point of this segment of the show is very simple. You take the time to listen to my podcast and I want to give you something that you can take at the end of every show, implement into your career and life immediately and see some kind of change, whatever it may be. So what I'd like to ask Stu to do today for us is we talked a lot about the brain and how powerful it is and creating new habits and being innovative. Stu, can you give our listeners, you know, it could be one thing, could be a couple things that they can do, uh, basic things that they can try to do on a daily basis to really see some kind of change in their career or their life based on this whole idea of working smarter? Yes, Anthony, let me, um, let me try to do that. I would underline your, your comment about um, the brain. Uh, to me, our brain is uh, clearly the most... Uh, a magnificent uh, mechanism in the universe, the most uh, amazing assembly. And by learning how it works, uh, we can we can practice even better stewardship with whatever gifts we have. I like to think that all of us are striving for some combination of success and significance. Uh, by success, I mean things like um, oh, the income we earn and the uh, uh, titles we have and uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, professional accomplishments. They're, they're sort of things that uh, are, uh, are personal. They're about us. They're sort of about stuff. 
But I think all of us are also are, are seeking uh, significance, uh, having some impact beyond us, some positive uh, influence on the world around us, uh, sort of legacy kind of things. And I suspect that the mixture of success and significance that each of us shoots for uh, varies widely among your audience. We each have to work that out for ourselves. But what is it that helps us achieve whatever combination of success and significance we, we like, that, we are, that we're striving for? And I like to put it in the context of four C's, and I would like to share the four C's with your audience. The first C that I think of uh, is, uh, is competence. We need to maintain our competence. We need to develop the habit of always being open to learning, no matter where we are in our career. The second C that I think is very important uh, is communication. And one of the most important communication habits is to listen before we react, before we respond. The third C that is really crucial is conscience. Uh, the idea of being able to do what's right and earn the trust of others. And that requires the habits of honesty and integrity. That is telling the truth and keeping our word. And the last C gets us back to uh, the innovation creativity theme that we've uh, touched on uh, over our time together today, and that's creativity. Because as I said earlier, earlier the world is changing very rapidly, and uh, we see the rise of competent engineers around the world, and therefore those of us who want to lead need to develop that whole brain habit, need to be more creative uh, and innovative. I hope that's of some help to uh, your listeners, Anthony. That's great, Stu. So if you're out there listening, you just heard the four C's from Stu. You can try to implement those four C's into your career, into your life, and see some change and utilize that brain power that we have, which is, it's just, it's something that's so untapped by so many people. And hopefully by listening to this podcast today, you'll start to think real seriously about how you can be more effective, more efficient, and more innovative in everything that you do. So with that, Stu, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us. And I'm going to mention real quick Stu's website because Stu does have a website that has a lot of information for engineers of all ages that can benefit from, which is helpingyouengineeryourfuture.com. And Stu's also working on a book. Do you have the name of the new book yet, Stu? Yes, the working title is Introduction to Creativity and Innovation for Engineers. So that's something we can all look forward to as well. So with that, Stu, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Anthony, and best wishes to you and your listeners. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash brain to get all the show notes from the show here today and all the resources that we listed. And I will see you on the next session of the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast with Anthony Fasano. Transforming engineering career development, one engineer at a time. For tons of free engineering career resources, visit www.engineeringcareercoach.com.